creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need A creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I am your host, Andy J. Pizza. Creative block can mean a whole lot of different things, but sometimes it's a very real sense or fear that you're just empty. You don't have anything else to say. Maybe you feel like you're repeating yourself or that you're just out, out of ideas. You don't have anything else to give. In today's episode, we're going to tackle what to do when you're feeling creatively empty. And we're going to do so with the help of someone who, for me, has become kind of a creative legend, in my own opinion, in, in life. Writer, music enthusiast, and poet Hanif Abdur-Rakib. Hanif writes books, does talks, and is prolific on social media and also has an amazing creative podcast called Object of Sound that I've been a fan of for a long time where he interviews incredibly inspiring musicians like indie legends Sufjan Stevens or Bjork and also fresh new voices in the music scene like Barty Strange. For me, Hanif represents this type of creator that I aspire to be, as he's always able to bring a fresh story or insight or perspective into every single one of his many creative outlets on a regular basis. And so I was excited to pick his brain and kind of figure out how do you stay full as a creator when you're making so many different things. Now, he had a ton of really great stuff to share, but before we get to that, just a quick message from our sponsors. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. 
launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. So I recently had the privilege of sitting down and having a chat with writer Hanif Abdur-Rakib, who I'm a huge fan of, and talk shop with him as well as just kind of get to the bottom of how does he stay so creatively full that he can do a podcast and write a book and write poetry and do talks and all these different things, a bunch of which I do as well, except for poetry. <laughs> I just wanted to get to like... How do you stay inspired and excited and always seem to have something so interesting to bring to the table? And uh, at the same time that we sat down, he was launching the latest season of his podcast, Object of Sound. Now, he's going to tell you a little bit about Object of Sound. It's a podcast from Sonos where he goes and interviews different musicians that he is a fan of and they kind of talk shop creatively. And I thought it could be cool to pair some of Hanif's answers with clips that illustrate these points from his show. These interviews are with artists I'm a big fan of or just episodes of the show that I found particularly inspiring and pulled out little bits that we could take a deeper dive on through the perspective of his own creative practice. Chapter one, the missed opportunity of using creative source material. Earlier this year, I read Hanif's latest book, A Little Devil in America, and it's all about black performers, black performance, and I was fascinated by Hanif's ability to say deeply personal things about his own life while exploring and riffing on secondhand source material like Whitney Houston's relationship with black audiences or cultural staples like Soul Train, the TV show. And I've seen this kind of use of source material in lots of different places throughout creative history and, and by a lot of my creative heroes, you know, people like Sufjan Stevens, who you're going to hear in a minute with his like state inspired albums or his latest collaborative album. But I also feel like it's a missed opportunity in a lot of creators' practices. Like, we feel like we have to make it up all on our own, whereas we can inject research into the creative process and make that a big part of how we stay full and inspired. You know, in this show, I'm always encouraging people, like, to pull inspiration from other mediums. And I'm not a musician, but I get so many different takeaways creatively from the show and I thought first up we could talk about that idea of 
outside sources and source material. This uh, was a big theme in your episode with Sufjan Stevens and Angelo uh, De Augustine, and yeah, they talk a yeah. lot about source material. Could you just kind of cue up like what that album was all about and how source material played a role in that? Yeah, that was an album where they wrote a bunch of songs inspired by films they were watching. They were like, you know, locked in and watching movies and they made a lot of, they kind of built songs out of, uh, inspired by the movies they were watching. And um, it was interesting because I think Sufjan in general is someone who is a very outside source kind of creator. You know, he's always kind of pulling from sources beyond himself. And it was interesting to see him go to film this time around instead of geography or literature or something else. For me, I'm someone who is always kind of stitching together multiple outside sources and outside obsessions to um, kind of create or pursue work. And and so, you know, I I don't know if I uh, am someone who believes that inspiration is everywhere, but I believe in the kind of concentrated approach to an obsession that can create an infrastructure through which creativity is born. I read that a lot of the source material for the album came from you guys watching movies together while you were writing the songs. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about that concept, how it came to be, and when in the process of making the album it sprung up. We had set aside some time to work on this, and at night we were watching films. And then in the next morning we were utilizing ideas from the films without even really knowing it. But I wonder if now, like looking back, if we were both just aware that we each had a lot of history, like personal history and baggage that we probably weren't like necessarily wanting to or willing to like bring to the other person. I remember feeling like this is kind of a relief that we have this, these parameters that are so like useful and for us so that so that I don't have to bring all my shit to the table like we can all we can just like come to terms with each other's perspectives on the source material being movies that we loved a film is a great concept for source material because it's just it's so limited you know it's like an hour and a half two hours and it's solidified in time and space my impulse is to just talk about the actual movies i mean what what movies were y'all watching and, and was there any rhyme or reason to the movie selection or was it just like whatever's on or whatever we can find? I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about the films. A lot of the movies were ones that we liked as children. Like I remember specifically one of the first ones we did was Clash of the Titans. Destroy Argos! Let loose the last of the titans. That was a movie for me that I watched as a kid and loved. I used to go to Blockbuster with my dad, and we would rent all the Ray Harryhausen animated movies like Jason and the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans. So Suf and I really both loved those claymation animations. And that was one of the first movies, I think, that we watched together. Yeah, it was a lot of 80s movies in, on this project, actually. Mm-hmm. But mostly films that we really loved and had like a very deeply entrenched kind of emotional relationship with, right? I feel like they're all like very important films somehow and, you know, affected 
ourselves as children. I mean, Angelo is much younger than I am, so... Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Because of, um, you know, the, the kind of journey back to childhood that uh, that can exist through our nostalgic rewatching and our nostalgic pursuits, it seems like there's a, a different entry point for the two of you there. Yes, but what's nice about watching films is that you can kind of forget yourself or when you watch it for the first time. Mm. I always think that's interesting because we do carry all all these ideas about ourselves and when we watch something we can kind of drop those or hang it up at the door and embrace, you know, new ideas and I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, and I think like there's a cross-generational thing going on here not just with me and Angelo cuz he's at least 15 years younger than me. But a lot of these films I watched with my father as well. So there's that going on, you know, between the two of us. And I'm a huge fan of horror. I've always been. I watched The Exorcist when I was five. And I loved it. Almighty Lord, word of God the Father, Jesus Christ, God the Lord of all creation. Game for your holy apostles. And I've always been like a sucker for just like any kind of horror. So I think that also played into this is like my fetishization with horror films. I I think a lot of these films are also like kind of problematic. You know, they're not perfect. And there's lawlessness and anarchy. There's so much conflict in all of these films. And I think that's maybe why we gravitated towards them. Because we watched a lot of movies, of other movies. And for whatever reason, we chose these. And I don't think it was an accident. As much as I love revisiting old things, I think that um, all of the things I loved, or most a, a good portion of the things I loved growing up, they haven't aged well. And I don't think they're required to have aged well. And um, I think the fact that they haven't aged well says, thankfully, more about me than the product itself. In kind of using these these films and this corner of pop culture as inspiration, did you find yourselves attempting to articulate or write correctives based off of the film's lack of aging well or or problematic nature of them all? Or were you just kind of propelled by the joyful revisit? The music is really more about us than about the films. Right. The source material was just kind of like a, a springboard. But let's be honest, none of us are going to age well. And everything is always going to feel dated. And thank God for that, because if it doesn't, then that means we're not progressing. Right, right. So let's let's like keep it moving. I mean, it's really messed. Some of these films are so messed up. There's a a rape scene, and she's got to have it. Yeah, that's like really problematic. I mean, Return to Oz is basically like the physical and emotional torture of a child the entire time. Like, um, Hellraiser is like physical disembowelment and you know it's like bdsm on steroids and and then the whole plot structure of mad max is like the pointless you know murder of a wife and a child like these movies are really really graphic everything about these films is pretty gruesome and offensive and I, I don't think that that's an accident. I think because we're both, like, Angela and I are just like very, very, sens- we're very sensitive people. And we want 
to presume the best in everything in humanity. And I think that that's maybe why we were drawn to these films is to understand them and to confront the heinous nature of humanity and to try to reflect something pure and hopeful and good. Chapter two, living is part of the creative process. So yes, I think that secondhand source material can be extremely inspiring and help you fill up when you're feeling empty creatively. But in my practice, it also feels like source material is kind of a candle that can only be lit by the spark of your firsthand lived experience. I've often said on this show that art that isn't made from a place of life, from your own lived experience, often feels dead. It feels lifeless. When everything you make is just a regurgitation of something you made before or something that someone else made, like if your only inspiration is other people's art and sometimes other people's art is only inspired by other people's art, it just kind of cannibalizes itself and just loses its life if it doesn't have lived experience breathing through it. Time is such a scarce resource for all artists. I'm not ignoring that. I feel that personally. I've always felt that way. Every day, it's tempting to spend as much time as humanly possible making creative work, but when you do this, you're missing out on the one most essential ingredient to your creative practice and to your creative process, which is living. I want to talk to you about a different type of research that, you know, non-creators call living. I have a hard time living sometimes, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Um, in your uh, interview with uh, Barty Strange, you were talking about, he was talking about how incubation of the creative works really important, like living in between making stuff. And you shared this idea of living as a sort of different type of making and, and different type of overcoming creative block. Can you kind of share what you meant by that? Yeah. Well, I mean, part of, partially what I, what I most commonly mean is that um, anyone who makes something is more than what they produce. I think detaching the human life from the life of someone who produces something is important. Uh, but also understanding that those two things fold into each other. I'm a writer, but I'm a lot of other things before I'm a writer. And I have to check all those boxes before I can effectively write. You know, before I can get to the work, I have to get to the work of being a person who is capable. And so for me, that does mean that living is a form of writing because it is a form of kind of enhancing um, the life beyond the page that makes, again, the return of the page easier. And so going on a run for me is can be a site of discovery taking my dog for a walk can be a site of discovery reading liner notes on albums all these things can kind of be sites of discovery and um i don't want to deny myself those things that bring me pleasure that are kind of what some people say is are quotidian things but um they define my my living in a way that reminds me i'm more than what i produce and that's a, a real requirement for me i've heard you uh, touch on the idea of being more than you produce a couple times. And I, I've caught that notion a couple times from you. And I'm always like, I wish that I, 
I know it's true, but I feel like in the pace of my own creative practice, that is a hard place to create from for myself and I imagine for listeners too. So anything you can share on where that where does that come from and what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, for me, a part of it is because I I didn't produce any work for a long time. My first book didn't come out until I was like over 30 and I only ever wanted to write one book and I didn't really want to write. I didn't want a life as a writer. I just wanted to, you know. Um, and so, so much of my production was not writing involved, it was performance-based. But another thing is that just, um, I think I have a really clear relationship with the idea that life is fleeting and interest and investment in one's work is, is can be fleeting and the pleasure that comes from working in the in the modes that we work can be fleeting and so what kind of life am I setting myself up for if I decide tomorrow that I don't want to write anything ever again or if tomorrow if for some reason it's decided for me that I, would, I will not be writing again like if my press is like we're done putting out your books or if people are like we don't care what you have to say anymore am I building a life for myself that is not rooted primarily in not only production, but people's response to my production. Am I building a life that is tenable for me outside of the recognition of awards or celebration? Or what do I love that is only mine? That's that's vital to me. It's vital for me to have things I love that I, I can keep for myself, you know? And that is kind of what drives me to return to this reality of uh, it's a requirement to be more than what I produce because production itself is flimsy. It's, it's not guaranteed. The ability to, to produce in the way that I produce now is not guaranteed. If I write like a series of poems I love and I'm excited about, I can't just throw them. I mean, I guess I can just throw them all on the internet. But with songs, if you record, write, record a good handful of songs, like how do you remain patient? Like how do you say to yourself, I really love this shit and no one's going to hear it for a while? I'm a big planner, you know, I'm so low pressure on myself when it comes to like the music. Like when I'm writing, I'll write like a riff or a verse or a chorus that I think is special. I'll save it because I probably wrote it in like a spurt. I probably heard it and was like, boom, record it. But it's before I think about like, what is the structure? What is the song about? I just put it away. I just put them all away. I would literally have a Dropbox folder of like 50 things. And I set a date. And in the past, I would take a week off work. I'd be like, on this day, I'm digging through the things that I liked. Then after that, I would set another date. They'd be like, on this date, I'm recording my favorite five things. So at that point, it's already been sitting for 10 months. <laughs> you know? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's like the time is like an essential part of making it, making the thing, you know? Like living life and experiencing things is an essential part of making the thing. I can't make the thing without seeing things, feeling things. Like, I don't know how Justin Vernon and like some of these guys will just like get in a room for three months and make an album. I could never, you know, for me, it's like piece by piece always though. I'm just always doing a little bit. (laughs) And then by the time it's like done, I'm like, oh yeah, I've been working on this song for like a year. Like what's another year? Now I need to think about like a larger concept. Like what am I trying to do with these 10 songs? How do I want to visually represent that? Who are the people I want around that? Like, what's the message? How do I make that as clear and concise as possible? How do I cut five songs? 
what do I want to do with those five songs that I cut? You know, <laughs> it's like then all these other questions arise. And so that keeps me busy and not worried about like, oh, shit, I want to share this, you know. Right. You know, as I get asked a lot about writer's block and what to do when when I encounter writer's block. I always say that I encourage writers to consider that living is kind of an act of writing, right? To be mm. in the world, to be fully engaged with the world is an act of writing because it makes the return to the page easier or at least more exciting or uh, it opens up some paths to return to the page with a level of newness. And so I love what you said about kind of living as a part of the the crafting of a song too, or living as a part of the ever evolving nature of album making or song making. And now for a final thought. One thing Bartise and I talked about was living as an act of writing. And that is something I'm passionate about because I do, as I mentioned, often get asked about writer's block. And when I get asked about writer's block, I am realizing that people are often asking me about writing as a production that ends with words on the page. And they're often only thinking about the words getting from the brain to the page. And while that is not a totally unuseful way of thinking about writing is, you know, of course, some point the words do have to get from the brain to the page. A way that I do think that I have avoided writer's block through much of my life as a writer is because I am almost required to imagine writing as something holistic that comes alongside living. Like a lot of other writers, I am many other things before I am a writer. And I think these notions of capitalism and competitiveness and productivity will force a lot of us in the creative fields to believe that we are only what we create and not necessarily how we live on the path to creating. But when I think about all the things I need to be and required to be before I'm a writer, be it a good friend, a good sibling, a good pet owner, a good lover of music, all of these things that make up my world, those are the things that make writing easier for me when I return to the page. If I neglect a friendship for too long, I'm not being a good writer. However, if in my rectifying that neglect, I call a friend and we have a really robust and generous conversation. And through that conversation, there's something sparked between us that I can take back to the page that enhances something I was stuck on. That also is an act of writing. If In my quest to rectify my mediocre pet ownership, I take my dog, Wendy, on a long walk, and I notice that on the walk, she is sniffing and joyfully considering the world anew, even though she's seen the same world on walks we've taken in the past. That ignites something in me that makes the return of the page easier. I would encourage all of us to reconsider what productivity is and what these basic notions of productivity serve, because they often don't serve our full and immediate and layered living process. And that process is actually what serves our work. And as cliche as it might sound, it is good to be tethered to these constant reminders that I am more than my art. I am more than my work. I am not only allowed, but required to exist in spheres beyond those. And you are as well. And I hope you do so. Chapter three, maybe saying something totally new isn't always the goal anyway. You can only live so many stories. I don't know if any other creatives feel frustrated by that as I sometimes do, but 
that's only frustrating until you realize that maybe art isn't just about saying something totally new or telling a story that you've never told before, but it's just as much about saying something old in a true and new way. I think that other piece of living as a form of creating or as a form of research and how they kind of go hand in hand goes into having stories to tell. And I know that your latest episode with Daniel Ponder goes into storytelling. You talked about storytelling in the talk last week in Columbus. And, you know, anybody that has known me for more than 45 seconds knows that story is a huge deal to me. It's kind of my main passion in terms of creativity. And I wondered um, if you could tell us a little bit about what you meant by how some creators get worried that they only have like one story to tell, but you kind of said that maybe that's not such a problem. And you, 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 you shared a little bit about your dad to kind of give that flavor. Could you share that story here? Yeah. Well, it's, it's mostly about the oral tradition, which I grew up in, um, which is to say that I grew up around elders, my father being one of them who told stories or who lensed all of their kind of morals or messaging through storytelling. Um, but they had limited stories with which to do so. My father doesn't have a ton of stories, but he can tell the same story in infinite ways. So in that way, he has infinite stories. This is why I think it's okay to return to the site of a story or an obsession and stay there. You know, sometimes it's not about width, it's about depth. It's about how, how far you're willing to go into an already mind space that you have been to but are returning to and i think one thing the oral tradition teaches us is that the story can change every time it's told it's almost required to learning that and knowing that and knowing that um you come to the table with a story that is malleable that can be shaped and reshaped and have a different impact in small ways too small reshapings can can shift the story and that means your same story, quote, your, your similar stories have an infinite impact and they deserve to kind of live in that way. You did a thing that I did that some creators I know did. You left a secure day job to pursue creativity. Are you still a public defender? Or are you out of, are you out no, of the game? No, no. Um, I actually left twice. So I left in 2018. Um, and that was just because it be, I had to choose. It just was overwhelming. Um, I would go to Europe, I would perform, and then I would literally come back on Monday and be yeah. in court. And I knew that I loved being a public defender. I also love music, but music is my, my number one passion. And then the response I was getting from the audience and from my community really gave me the confidence that okay, this thing could happen. I may not make as much money, but I think I can pay my rent and still sing. And then the pandemic hit and I went back to public defense work. And this time I went back to do DEI work in an executive position. So the second time was a little harder to quit because financially I was leaving behind, you know, a salary growing up I didn't think I would ever make. But at the same time, I signed a record deal while I was working. 
So I began to feel like I I had a team now. So that gave me a boost as well to say, you know what, I think we can make this happen. Um, and either way, it was going to happen because I know that that's my purpose. When I'm on stage, it's the happiest I feel. It's the most alive I feel. It's the most in love with myself I feel. And so I just know that's the thing that I'm I'm meant to do. Yeah. I think among Black folks, you know, there's a lot of talk about code switching. A code switching is there isn't. I'm just curious about how it was for you to kind of not even code switch, but like life switch in a way to go from a performer in in one way to performing perhaps in in court in a, in a significantly different way. Mm. You know, I I see real um, parallels between being a public defender and being an artist on stage telling stories, and that that's the parallel. I think it's the the art of storytelling. Um, you want to tell a story in a way that um, connects to the heart and makes the listener empathetic. And as a public defender, especially when I'm speaking to a jury or I'm speaking to a judge, I want to tell my client's story in a way that the judge or the jury, the DA could say, I could have been in that position or I can understand where this person is coming from. And I think music does the same thing, right? It it takes emotions that we can't really name and puts a name to it in a way that we feel so connected to the artist because, you know, someone sings about a breakup, you immediately go to your last breakup and all of a sudden you're there, right? And that's exactly what I tried to do as a public defender is to have people put themselves in my client's shoes and have empathy for my client. And I think I'm doing the same thing as a songwriter. Massive thanks to Hanif for sitting down with me. He's been a dream guest of mine for a while now. And so it was a complete pleasure to sit down and just talk shop with him creatively and and learn from his creative practice. And I'm just pumped that a creator like him is in Columbus, Ohio as well. Uh, Go check out Hanif's incredible creative podcast, Object of Sound by Sonos. They make a lot of good shows, by the way. I just branded their new show, America's Dead. It's all about the enduring impact of the band Grateful Dead on America. Uh, Great podcast. I binged it in two days. Um, I'm not even, I've never been a Grateful Dead fan. I just don't know that much about them. But uh, Emmett Malloy, the creator behind the show, interviewed some of my favorite musicians, people like uh, Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend and some of the guys from Animal Collective. It's really, really good. He also interviewed Margot Price, who has a great episode on Object of Sound and who also has her own podcast um, through Sonos that they just launched as well. You can go find all of those shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Highly recommend it. Sonos is making some um really great podcast. They're doing some incredible things in the audio space. And uh, I'm, I'm pumped to have been able to collaborate with them in any capacity because they, they know their podcasts. And um, as someone who came from the illustration world, it's just a thrill to be able to, to work with uh, the real game players in the space. 
Uh, so thanks, Hanif, for being on the show. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme song and for our, our music throughout. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show so beautifully. And thanks to Ryan Appleton, Katie Chandler, Sophie Miller for content and podcast assistance of all kinds. And uh, until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs> <laughs>